Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Busy, busy Friday. I'm sure we all have a lot on our mind looking forward to the weekend. I'm sure most people locked and loaded focused in on the upcoming Game 3 between the Bucks and the Celtics tonight. The series shifting back to Boston. Tip-off is at 7 tonight, and you can, of course, hear that on WKTY. And I do want to talk about the Bucks. We have a lot to cover today, including some mind-blowing stats about a particular Buck, uh, in particular Chris Middleton. We know Giannis has been good, and we've seen Chris Middleton, and I think we all understand how good he's been, too. But I still don't think we fully wrap our mind around how good he's been. So I'm going to try to put that into perspective coming up. We'll talk to Dave Carney, co-host of Mornings with Dave and Scrady, coming up at 5.30. Uh, We're going to get his thoughts before Game 3 tonight. Uh, And I also want to take a a bigger look at the series as well. A lot is made of... Is it gonna? Is it a must-win game? How many games do the do the the Bucks need to win on the road? I, I want to take a step back and talk about the series in a little bit wider frame, a little bit bigger picture as well. So plenty of Bucks talk coming up. Don't worry, uh, we'll have a chance to air all of our thoughts, air all of our grievances and anxieties and worries on the Five Star Telecom talking text line six zero eight seven nine six two five five eight. If you want to jump in, talk about anything, anytime. I'm wide open. I'm all ears. You can also reach out on Twitter at Keystroker Grant and at WKTY. As much as the Bucks uh, are, are bearing on our mind before Game 3 tonight, I actually wanted to start with the Brewers. Maybe a little bit surprising. They actually haven't played since we've talked last. Uh, they were played yesterday afternoon, and they will play again tonight. They start with the Mets. Uh, a 7-10 first pitch. They're going to be over on our sister station, WIZM, to make room for the Bucks, and, and we, we don't have a game to talk about. I know they haven't played since we have talked last on the Wisco Sports Show. But one of their rivals did play today. That was the Chicago Cubs. They had an afternoon date with the Cardinals, and they took him to church. They shut him out and, quite honestly, made it look really easy. They beat him 4 nothing. The Cubs are now 17-12, and which, don't get me wrong, the Cubs aren't that many games ahead of the Brewers, but, but these teams are trending in different directions. They appear to be, one team appears to be losing themselves, while the other appears to be finding its stride, right? The Cubs are now 15-5 and five over their last 20 games. And it's interesting because earlier today, uh, every Friday morning I do a podcast uh, with some fellow UWL students who are also involved. Uh, one of them uh, works over at, uh, at CBS, WKBT, uh, News Channel 8. The other one also works here and also works at CBS. So some, some media people from around town who also uh, uh, are students at UWL. And we talk about a whole lot of things. And I thought I would, I would share this with you today. This was a conversation from this morning talking about starting pitching and how the Cubs starting pitching has been great and the Brewers not so much. Well, if you didn't see the result of the Cubs game today and exactly what went down, the Cubs beat them 4 to nothing. They did shut them out. That happens every once in a while. It's not like a shutout is completely out of the ordinary. It's the way that it happened. It's the way that it happened. Kyle Hendricks, an 81 pitch shutout. Complete game. And if that wasn't wild enough, not a single pitch he threw was over 89 miles an hour. Not even gassing up in the high 90s. Nope. 81 pitches, a full shutout, just about as efficient as you can square it up. And when I saw that, when I saw that today, and and I was reading about that, and I saw some highlights as well, I said, I know know what we got to talk about to start the show today. Because this morning, when I did my podcast with my buddies, we were talking about the, the Cubs starting pitching and how it's been better and how compared to the Brewers... 
it really hasn't been close. The Cubs have been far and away the superior unit. Now, the Cubs, I, I think most people would argue they do have the better starting pitchers, and they've spent more money in their established veteran starters, while the Brewers are trying to cultivate and get outs in a different way. Our standards for starting pitching on the Brewers and for the Cubs are completely different. The Cubs fans expect probably six, seven innings of, of, of good pitching, while the Brewers are content, Brewers fans, maybe not content, but have used to uh, have gotten used to expecting uh, four and a couple, four and a third, uh, five, uh, five and a third, and if we can just get there, man, we're sitting pretty. Those standards suck, okay? That's not the way that we can think. So earlier today on our podcast, and this is about a minute 30 long, and I just got to share it with you. We were sarcastically, Nate and I uh, were asking the resident Cubs fan of the group. His name is Ryan, and he's been on the show before. Actually, both of these guys uh, have joined the show here from uh, from WKBT, from the, the local CBS affiliate here in Lacrosse. Nate and I kind of sarcastically asking, what's it like to have starting pitchers uh, as good as they are, obviously coming from a Brewers fan's perspective, uh, because they haven't been very good. So this is sarcastic. This is meant to be entertaining. But this whole conversation proved even more valid and even more useful after Kyle Hendricks did what he did today. Here you go. Check it out. Wait, wait. So explain to me. So the pitcher who starts it in the mm-hmm. first inning? The starter. The starter, okay. Essentially goes seven or eight innings deep in a ball game. Wait, and then so once the fourth inning rolls around, they keep... They keep pitching. They yeah. keep do they pitching. Even, do they even get a guy warming up? No, no. They 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 see that he's smooth sailing, and they're like, you know, maybe he's given up one or two, but he's got a lot left in the tank, and he he's a veteran, so he knows how to pitch around these type of things. So your your starting pitchers what must average 150, 175, 180 pitches per game then if they pitch that many innings? No, they don't go that high because they pound the zone. Really? So. Wait, so they throw strikes? They work from so. They're working from ahead in the count? Yeah, they they pound the zone, they get ahead. First pitch strikes are key. Mm-hmm, uh, right. They usually, I mean, they usually run, Madden keeps them on a leash around 100. Okay. Is usually what I like to say. And they get that by the 7th or 8th inning? Yeah. Wait, so they don't, you're telling me they Darvish don't walk people? A lot. You're telling me they don't walk people? But their walks are at a minimum, yeah. They don't like to get free passes. That's a big no-no in baseball. Huh. Really? Yeah. Huh. So, wait. So if like Hendricks gives up a home run, but then if he doesn't walk people, that home run's probably only worth a run, maybe two. Worth one, maybe two. So where do they? How do they give up runs? You know, that's the thing. They have been their ERA starting pitchers last couple game or last couple weeks have been like mid one. Oh, two. so they they don't give up. So many. they don't give up. Okay, see, I I think I have a run. I need to read a little bit. I, maybe I need to watch other teams. Thank you, though. Yeah, yeah thank you. I didn't mean to ask all those questions. I no, just, I like to fill in people that you know maybe don't have, have that chance to experience stuff like this. No, thank it's you. It's foreign to me. A, a sarcastic, a satirical conversation from Brewers fans to a Cubs fan trying to figure out what starting pitching actually must be like. What not even excellent, although today for the Cubs it was excellent. Not even excellent, but just competent starting pitching is like. You're telling me. That your starting pitchers go more than four or five innings? They stay in after four or five innings? Wow. Wait, you're telling me you're telling me they don't walk a lot of hitters? They don't like putting base runners on, on the bags for free? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're, oh, so you're so that must mean they don't they don't give up a lot of runs. Is that we okay, so that's the point. All right. Now we figured it out. That was from a, a podcast we did earlier today, before Kyle Hendricks throws an eighty one pitch shutout. Complete game. We were just proven right. We were proven right today. Maybe that's why I felt the need to share that segment. 
not just because it's topical, not just because I find it entertaining and a little bit humorous and, and, a, and a, a decent piece of satire, but because Kyle Hendricks absolutely proved us right. That's what good starting pitching can do. That's what good starting pitching can mean to a ball club. The Cubs shut out the Cardinals today 4-0. Uh, they are now 17-12. and 12. They've won 15 out of their last 20. And the team ERA is down to 220. Now, today's game, yep, today's game is an outlier. I'm not, you might be saying, well, Grant, geez, come on. Not every starting pitcher can, can throw 81, 81 pitches and, 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 and a complete game and a shutout. No, I, I understand that. I understand that 100%. It, it's about the average. It's about the standard. The Cubs' standard for their starting pitchers is to not get to the fifth inning and then turn it over to the bullpen. It's to grab the game by the horns. Own the game just a little bit more. And that's what the Brewers need to strive for. Last year was different. Last year was last year because the Brewers' best arms, their best players, were all in their bullpen. So it would be silly to ask Yolisha Seen game after game to go into the seventh because you're not maximizing your talent. This year, the Brewers don't have that talented of a bullpen. Outside of Josh Hader, and, and we'll see what Jeremy Jeffress does. He had a promising outing the other night, but man, oh man. Last year is not this year, and the Brewers need to expect more out of their starting pitching, just like the Chicago Cubs have been getting. Not just today. Today's an outlier, but still follows the trend uh, that the Brewers' opposition and the Brewers' division rivals have been uh, have been establishing the, the last couple of weeks. Well, the Brewers' starting rotation has crumbled before their very eyes, right? That being said, wanted to get the Brewers off my chest. I want to transition to this. We know that Chris Middleton has been good. He hit 7 of 10 threes in Game 2, which was on Tuesday night. 7 of 10. And we're all like, man, Chris Middleton is balling. Chris Middleton loves playing the Celtics. He's been great in the playoffs. I think we all understand that. And I still think Chris Middleton has been underrated. I'm going to share with you some statistics coming up. And you're going to say, man, I, I knew he was good. I didn't, I didn't know he was that good. We'll also talk to Dave Carney uh, coming up at 530. He co-hosts Mornings with Dave and Scrady. I'm sure you know his voice and you know his buck stakes. We'll talk to him coming up at 530. Buck stock on the way, all the way until 6 o'clock. And then the Bucks. Pre-game takes over at 6.30 here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show, presented by Played Against Sports. Back in a moment. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Thanks for hanging out. Hope you're having a good Friday night. Looking forward to a fun weekend. We should have uh, no shortage of entertainment. The Brewers start a three-game Home series with the Mets tonight. Liked the result last weekend, so hopefully the Brewers continue to have their number. And of course, we're looking towards Bucks Celtics game three tonight. That game moves back to Boston. You'll hear that on WKTY. I want to talk about Chris Middleton. And, and oddly enough, we talk about Chris Middleton as an underrated star across the league. Whether you want to argue he's a superstar or a star or just a good player, the wording is in my opinion here, meaningless. He did make his first All-Star game this year, uh, and he was near the bottom of the roster, right? It's not like he he exploded onto the scene. He made the All-Star game, and I think he got some recognition, and some people around the the NBA fandom started to say, Chris Middleton is very underrated. Chris Middleton is, is an underrated player because he plays in Milwaukee, because he plays under Giannis. Chris Middleton is underrated. I think that Chris Middleton is even more underrated than everyone would tend to admit. Now, I want to talk about postseason Chris Middleton. I will be the first sometimes to stand in line to shake a pitchfork and a torch and complain about Chris Middleton because we all know, if you watch Bucks games in the regular season, you know this, there are times where Chris Middleton goes very cold. There are times where Chris Middleton 
appears just a little bit lackadaisical on defense and, and maybe even at times just a little bit ditzy. All right, and I don't mean any of those words. When I use words to describe players, their style of play, their mentality, I, I'm not using it as a personal attack, like he's a ditzy guy. He's a he's a lazy player. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about his game. There are times where Chris Middleton says, eh, he's got an open shot. Me closing out isn't going to make much of a difference. There's times where he appears to be just a little bit ditzy and not see the ball right away or to not pull the trigger right away. Sometimes you notice things like that, and sometimes I get really frustrated because there are times where opponents have a very good game plan for Giannis or Giannis gets into foul trouble, and of course you look at your number two guy, Chris Middleton, and you say, come on, where is it? And it doesn't always happen, right? So I will be the first to complain about Chris Middleton. This postseason, and to be fair, last year in the postseason as well, he has been unreal okay and I think even those like myself who are willing to admit that he's been unreal aren't doing him justice aren't using strong enough language and we are still underrating Chris Middleton I got some stats not just points per game not just rebounds or assists per game you have to look just a little bit deeper uh, to really dig into the level of excellence that Chris Middleton has brought to the postseason in the last couple of years for example, this is treated. This was reported on Tuesday night. I, I dug these stats up after game two, so uh, so uh, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. Uh, in thirteen playoff games this year and last year, these are Chris Middleton's average. You ready? Twenty-two and a half points, five point seven rebounds, three point five assists. And you might think, Grant, that's why, that's incredibly lame. There are players who average way more scoring and more rebounds and more assists. Yeah, I, I agree. And because we have become so entranced with players like James Harden, who shoot at such a high volume and are always taking shots from everywhere, whether they're runners, their layups, their dunks, their three-point shots, their mid-range jumpers, step-back shots, we were right. We've become so blinded to look at the points-per-game statistics or the rebounds or the assists-per-game statistics and judge off of that. Now, if you were only to judge Chris Middleton on those statistics, 22.5 points, about six rebounds, and about 3.5 assists, you would say he's a good player, and because he doesn't get a lot of conversation and he plays in Milwaukee, he is underrated. If you only look at those stats, and that's fine. But that doesn't do it justice. He is shooting 54% from the field in the last 13 playoff games. That's tremendous. That's efficiency, right? If you just focus on his three-point shooting, he's shooting better. He's better from three than from the field altogether. He's shooting 58% from three in the last 13 playoff games. Oh, and from the free throw line, he's been shooting 83%. That's efficiency, right? He takes a shot. He's got a pretty good feeling that he likes his shot and that he's confident that he can hit it, right? Now, last year, the Bucs played, uh, played the Celtics in the playoffs. The year before, the Raptors. And, and this is the first year, right, that we're talking about them actually being in the second round. So we can only look at last year's one series and this year's first series with the Pistons and what we have to go off so far with the Celtics. You want to talk against the Celtics specifically? Now that changes things completely. Right, here's what I'm talking about. We all know that Chris Middleton has made hay against the Celtics. He loves playing the Celtics. He almost appears to have an extra skip in his step, an extra little bit of confidence, and we know that he loves to hit shot against the Celtics, right? Specifically against the Celtics only. Shooting from three, Chris Middleton is hitting an absurd amount of his shots. He's shooting 63.6% against the Celtics from three. 
Chris Middleton shooting from the field, from beyond the three-point line, is shooting 63.5% against the Celtics. That's crazy. So when you start to think of the other night, well, Chris Middleton at 7 of 10, that's not going to happen again. Holy balls. I I mean, that's an outlier of a game. Well, yeah, it's 70%. It's slightly over his average, but let's not act like 70% is that above the median of 63.5. Like that game we saw on Tuesday night where Chris Middleton hit 7 of 10, that's actually that game's actually a pretty good indicator of what Middleton has done against the Celtics in the playoffs the last two years. And if you haven't been watching, you haven't been paying attention, uh, you might say, well, the Celtics are fine. Chris Middleton's not going to do that again. Well, if history has told us anything, yeah, he just might. Because that's how good he's been shooting three-point shots against the Celtics in the postseason. That's how good he has been. We all admit that Chris Middleton is underrated. We all admit that he doesn't get enough credit. And yet, even through that admittance, even through that conclusion, we are still underrating the man. 63.5% from three. Dude, that's wild. 608-796-2558, the five-star telecom talk and text line. Jason Breacher says, K-Mid deserves, uh, we we keep him in Milwaukee. We don't need to be facing as in his opponent. Dude's more, <laughs> I gotcha, dude's more on than off. I agree, that's some good That's some good analysis. You to Think of it this way, Bucks fans. And and at times, I have been reluctant, and, and at times, I still think, man, the max contract is probably what it's going to take to keep Chris Middleton in Milwaukee, and that's a lot of money uh, to give out to anyone especially a guy like Chris Middleton. Well, go through this thought exercise, and Jason provides us with a great example. Go through this exercise. Imagine playing against this version of Chris Middleton that we've seen the last couple of playoff series in the playoffs. Imagine that. Do you like that? Nuh-uh. No. That sounds like a nightmare. The nightmare that the Celtics have been living for the last two years. A nightmare that is shooting a 63.5% clip from beyond the three-point arc. So if somebody comes up or you hear somebody argue, well... I'm still picking the Celtics to win this series. I think they'll be fine. Chris Middleton's not going to go 7 of 10 uh, with 28 points uh, again. Well, he just look out. He just might. Because that's only slightly above his career average from 3 against the Celtics in the postseason. Man knows when to turn it on. Man knows when to turn it on. And I think he's wildly underrated. For example, we, talk, we talked to Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network on Wednesday. And, you know... Of course, it's sports radio, so we're talking cliches like, what are the key? What are the Bucks' keys? The rest of it? Who do we need to focus on? Who Who's really going to be the difference maker? You know, asking some cliche question like that in order to have a conversation about the Bucks game. And, and Justin said, look, I, I think it's going to come down to Eric Bledsoe and Brooke Lopez. Those two guys don't need to get you a ton of buckets, but they need to get you a certain type of bucket at a certain t- time. And this Bucks team, because of that, can be really difficult to beat. And Chris Middleton was not included in that category. And a lot of people approach the Bucks as Giannis and everyone else. They don't really have a solid number two, right? It could be Bledsoe one night, Lopez another, Chris Middleton another, maybe Malcolm Brogdon, although he hasn't been healthy. Has Chris Middleton ascended past the level of Eric Bledsoe and, and Brooke Lopez and Malcolm Brogdon? Maybe just in the series, maybe just in this situation, the way that he's playing against the Celtics specifically, but more so in the playoffs as a whole. We've just come to accept, or uh, we've come to expect, and of course we're going to accept it too, this level of dominant shooting, efficient shooting. Like I said, 13 career playoff games, the last 13 games, he's shooting 54% from the field, 58 from three, and 83% from the free throw line. And that 58% clip from three gets bounced up to about 63.5 when he specifically faced the Celtics. I... We're still underrating Chris Middleton because we're talking about Giannis. And then, of course, we're talking about Eric Bledsoe and what he can do. We're talking about Brooke Lopez and how he spaces the floor. Chris Middleton, he's just there. 
And I don't know if we're appreciating exactly what he has been doing. Hopefully those numbers allowed to put it into perspective a little bit. Now, all that being said, knock on wood, we hope that continues tonight in Game 3 in Boston when the series moves out to the East Coast. When we come back, I want to talk to Dave Carney before we say goodbye for the weekend. Uh, he, of course, hosts, co-hosts Mornings with Dave and Scrady here on WKTY. We'll get his thoughts because I'm sure he's settling in. He's ready to go. He's chomping at the bit uh, for some Game 3 action, some more NBA playoffs tonight. We'll talk to Dave coming up next on the 5 Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show presented by Play It Again Sports right here on WKTY. <laughs> This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY 96.7 FM, 580 AM. And you can always listen on our mobile app as well, as I know Dave Carney loves to. Just talking him off the air. He's joining us on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Getting ready for game three. This could be a big one, Dave. How are you doing? You holding up okay? Hey, Bill's doing very good in the uh, Carney Command Center here, getting ready for the Bucks game three, as <laughs> you mentioned. Yes, I am chomping at the bit. Um, also, just real quick, this is kind of breaking news. You know, the the Suns signed Bonnie Williams today yeah. as their head coach, five-year deal. Yeah, they got some new coaches, and it looks like Ty Lue's going to be the Lakers coach, even if it's not yeah. official yet, right? You know, I don't I don't hate that because Ty Lue was a Laker. I mean, he you know won a championship with the Lakers, maybe two, I can't remember, but he, I know he at least won one. Uh, this should work out okay. So anyhow, back back to the regularly scheduled program. Yes, I've been listening on the WKTY app, and everybody should download this thing too because it is like literally the best way to listen to WKTY uh, anywhere you go. It's really I use it in the morning to listen to to you and Scrady, so I certainly get some use out of it. I hope our listeners do as well. Let's talk about tonight's game. I man, I, I don't know. Boston's fans are wild. I, I think the place is going to be rowdy. I, I think the Bucks are going to be hard-pressed to get a win tonight. I see the spread is a point-and-a-half. The Celtics are a, a, a point-and-a-half favorite. Or, or the spread is a point-and-a-half. I guess I don't even remember who is favorited. It's basically a pick'em game. What are your original thoughts on this game as we're just within hours here of tip-off? Okay, so real quick on your uh, point there. So if it's a point-and-a-half spread right now, that means it's actually moved a half a point towards Milwaukee's direction. So the Celtics were favored this morning by two points. Uh, many Vegas sports books and some offshore books so right now, the, the, the confidence is actually hedging even more towards the Bucks. Uh, Grant, look, I think it's like this. Milwaukee tonight goes to Boston. They win by six or seven points. It will be tough, to be sure. Absolutely, the, the crowd is going to be into it. The, the TD Garden is not the Boston Garden. All right, people get this confused. This isn't where Larry Bird played. Okay, Robert Parrish wasn't walking these hallowed halls. It's a place called the TD Garden. It's close to the Boston Garden, but it's not the same. So, it won't be like it would have been in the 1980s. You know, would Sidney Moncrief and guys go in there to try to beat one of the greatest teams of all time? Now, that said, Boston showed in game one what they can do when they are fully motivated and engaged. However, I would say this as well. The Bucks played one of their poorest games of the season, Grant, in game one. They didn't defend. They didn't shoot the three. They didn't have a good performance from Giannis, save for Chris Middleton, George Hill, and perhaps Nikola Mirotic. There wasn't many bright spots to be found. All of that seemed to get cured in Game 2. The other thing that I think was really hindering Milwaukee in Game 1 was the start time. Uh, When you've had a layoff like that and your body's rhythm is still pretty much going towards a 7 o'clock start, because that's about 85, 90% of the games in the NBA, 7 o'clock start. Yeah. So when you have that big of a difference after a week layoff with a very motivated and a very good Boston team, I can see it all coming together. So I'm sure Boston's fans will be crazy. I'm sure the Celtics will come out firing. But if Milwaukee does what they did in game two, 
they will win this game, and I anticipate it'll be close. Uh, not super close, but I say six to eight will probably be where it lands tonight. Milwaukee wins. I like that. I can always ask you betting questions. I don't really bet. I don't really. I, I mean, I know how it works, but you are the uh, the expert when it comes to that stuff. Boston is a point and a half favorite, so it is basically it's a bucket. Or, or so, I guess. It, we don't need to get into specifics. But I, I've been talking about Chris Middleton. And a take that I've heard a lot this week is, well, I don't think Kyrie Irving's going to play that poorly again. And there's no way Chris Middleton hits 7 of 10 threes again. And, and the more that you look at the statistics and, and the trends over, not just this series, but the past couple of years, Chris Middleton has been having games very similar to that. Like, like that was not a crazy outlier. It was slightly above average. But it wasn't insane to think that Chris Middleton could continue to perform near that level. I, I, Chris Middleton could very well be the key tonight because the way that he was shooting last week, I mean, the Bucks, the Celtics couldn't do anything. Like, even the shots that Middleton missed were right there. They were rolling in and out. They just barely caught back rim. Like, he was a dude who was dialed in, and I, I think that'll continue tonight. Listen, if people have been underestimating uh, Chris Middleton, they've been doing so for his entire basketball career. The guy was a second-round draft pick, a throwaway in the Brandon Jennings trade. Yeah. Grant, that netted the Bucks. Chris Middleton. He overcomes a completely torn quad, comes back, helps lead the Bucks to a playoff run uh, that very season. So Chris Middleton has been getting overlooked for some time. So I don't think that's new. But I agree with your assessment that it is not crazy to assume a similar performance. Last year against the Celtics, Chris Middleton, as you talked about in your previous segment, was nearly as good as he was in game two for the entire series. The Chris Middleton that we see playing right now, whether he is the same Chris Middleton that we'll see play uh, against the Philadelphia or Toronto team or the whomever comes out of the West, uh, doesn't really matter. But against the Celtics, he is an incredibly bad matchup. They have a lot of trouble uh, figuring him out. And, and, and if you recall, in game two, the Bucks are off to a, a bit of a tight start, right? They're feeling the pressure. The score is 12-5. to 5. Yeah. Milwaukee has not made a field goal. Chris Middleton takes it to the post. A nice little you know, up-and-under move. Gets a three-point play the, the regular way. It's 12-8. And from that point, the Bucks got onto a roll, and they didn't really look back from that point. So, yes, Chris Middleton not a, only a key tonight, but every game in the series, Grant, every single game. Yeah, I agree. Dave Carney from Mornings with Dave and Scrady joining us here on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. Dave, I, there, if we want to talk about specific plays or specific instances from the other night, something that I was noticing, when the Bucks did have opportunities to get out and run in transition, because they, they were better on defense, so Boston was hitting less shots, which means they were getting rebounds and having the ability to run a little bit more. They weren't trying to force-feed Giannis, uh, and then everybody just trailed down the court. There were times where Chris Middleton was bringing the ball up, and, and Dave, call me crazy, because... Giannis is one of the best transition players, if not the best transition player, bar none, in the NBA. But when Chris Middleton is allowed to bring the ball up in transition, when everybody's trying to scramble and get things figured out, he provides a, a different look because now he's forcing Boston to defend all the way out to the three-point line because we saw Chris Middleton hit transition threes off the dribble uh, a couple of nights ago. Would it be crazy to think that maybe Coach Bud is saying, as much as we love Giannis ball handling and transition, let's not be afraid to let Chris Middleton do it as well because you never know what kind of miscommunication, what last-minute scramble that's going to cause. And, and drawing defenders out to the three-point line, now all of a sudden Giannis has the ability to get behind the defense and get buckets on assists. He doesn't have to do it all. What would you think about a strategy like that, allowing Chris Middleton to run the, the point uh, when the opportunity is, is advantageous to the Bucks? Yes, they will do that. That was the adjustment from Game 1 to Game 2. So Boston did one thing extremely well in Game 1 and in Game 2. Giannis was just dogged in his determination to get what he wanted to have done done. 
the Celtics have a game plan to stop Giannis. You're correct as well in your prior assessment where you said basically the league looks at it as the Bucks are Giannis and everybody else. Yeah, That's true in a very, very dangerous way because it can be nearly everybody. So my assumption is that Coach Bud and the staff went back, looked at the tape from game one and said, here's what we're seeing. They're trapping Giannis on the wing. They're trapping him in the post. They're trapping him in the middle of the floor. We move Giannis to the side of the corner, and yes, he was trailing a lot of plays, and he still had the ball a considerable amount of time. But using Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe more in that space, even Nikola Mirotic on occasion, to bring the, the, the basketball up the court will do a lot of things. And I think that's why uh, Coach Bud is going to win the Coach of the Year, because he looked at the tape, they make these adjustments, Grant, and then they just move players around. That's also one of the, the brilliant things about what this Bucks. You know, scouting staff, and I will give credit to John Horst and his, his crew, but even the prior regime before, you know, for drafting players that were long, athletic, and could handle the ball. It's similar to what's happening now, um, you know, in, in football, with every player being sort of, you know, stretching, you know, wide receiver, a tight end, oftentimes can overlap. Uh, running backs and wide receivers can play different positions, quarterbacks run. They're becoming more multidimensional, and I think that's what Milwaukee is uh, really blessed with here. So you're right, it's Giannis and everybody else, but that's the worst problem to have if you're another team. That is very true. It's a blessing and a curse to be Giannis and everyone else because I think with Boston, is Milwaukee's going to try to D up tonight. You focus first on Kyrie Irving, and then, of course, you turn your attention to Al Horford. After that, there hasn't really been a, a guy who's taken over. Jason Tatum has been pretty quiet, and Jalen Brown has been okay. I, I knock on wood because I don't want any of those guys to suddenly find their stride tonight. <laughs> My last question for you, how should the Bucks approach defending Boston tonight? Because I, I can't imagine, as much as I think... Chris Middleton will continue. I think Kyrie Irving will improve off of his Game 2 performance, and we know how good Al Horford has been. How should the Bucks approach defending Boston tonight? Same way they did in Game 2. Um, if you can, as, as much as possible, without completely burning yourself, you, you go 90 feet. You play as much full-court basketball as you can. The thing with Boston is, at least to me, is this. They haven't done great with adversity this year, right? So when the, the stakes have really gotten high, the pressure's mounted. They haven't always responded in a positive manner, okay? And I mean that Kyrie Irving, the de facto leader of the team, hasn't necessarily shown in, in, in all instances the ability to really get his arms around this group. And therefore, the group that went to the conference finals last year hasn't always embraced Kyrie. So I'm curious to see what would happen if... Eric Bledsoe, George Hill, Pat Connaughton, whomever that you know, Milwaukee Bucks want to throw at the the Celtics, and in specific Kyrie Irving, if they start to frustrate him, if the shots aren't falling, if Jason Tatum continues to play like okay, uh, if they commit a lot of turnovers, there I'm going to be very interested to see what their mentality is. Uh, will they retreat to what they were in the regular season, or will they be what they were when they basically blew past a starless Pacer team? in four games and then beat the Bucks. I think we overvalue a little bit, not taking anything away, but we overvalue a little bit of what that sweep uh, Boston had over Indiana. And not to say that it wasn't a good accomplishment, it was, but it might be just a little bit overvalued considering what Indiana was working with. Oh, you know my thoughts on that series. I, I didn't, I barely valued that at all, let alone overvalued or, or undervalued that series. I mean, I, they, they only beat him once by double digits. I mean, I mean, you put a superstar on that Pacers team, that, that series uh, goes a, a lot longer. So I, I'm definitely with you there. Game three tonight here on WKTY. And Dave, I, I like the way that we have wrapped our arms as listeners and as hosts on WKTY around the Bucks. I'm getting guys <laughs> from the Bucks Radio Network. You're joining me to talk Milwaukee. How fun has this been? 
It's awesome, dude. And I'm super excited for everybody here, too, because, look, soak it up. We never know when these things will happen again. Look at what's happening right now with the Brewers. Yeah. not saying it's over, <laughs> but it's not what we were feeling not what we were feeling last season, right? Who knows what happens with the Packers? They've won 13 games in two years. Uh, we should all be enjoying this Milwaukee Bucks basketball team because they're giving us a lot of enjoyment. And I really do think, Grant, I know I'm I, you know, a, a big fan of the team now, but I really do think they have got the components necessary uh, to do it this year. And I, and I think if everybody wants to be sensible and Chris Middleton can take 20 instead of 30, the, the deals will get done. The, the ownership group is going to find a way to eat it for a bit. They're going to make a ton of money from that serve complex. So oh, yeah. The revenue streams that the Bucks are being able to enjoy now with the new facility are multiple, and I don't think fans should worry as much about the ability for the Milwaukee Bucks to retain these guys. It seems like a good group of guys, and most of them have made a pretty good salary at one point or another in their career, including George Hill and Brooke Lopez, so I'm not entirely sure money will be the driving factor. And just to wrap I don't know that any of these guys are really all that good outside of with Milwaukee. Right? Sure. So if Chris Middleton goes to Dallas, yeah, okay, I hear what Breacher's saying. Can you imagine facing him? Let's see him get to the playoffs, sure. right? I mean, where, where are they going to go? In this system with this team, it reminds me a lot of what San Antonio did. The later careers of Sean Elliott, Avery Johnson, David Robinson, uh, Brent Barry, Boris Diaw, these are very good examples of what's happening in Milwaukee, and I think the guys recognize that at least a little, uh, you know, seeing what we had with Bledsoe in the season. So I'm, I'm pretty confident that if everything works out and winning does help a lot and cures a lot of things, this this could probably go on for the next couple, two, three years. I love to hear that, Dave, and I hope it we're nowhere near done here in the spring of 2019. Dave, enjoy the games this you weekend. Too, I'll talk to you Monday. Uh, awesome. Thanks, you, Bills. Talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks. That's Dave Carney, host of Mornings with Dave and Scrady here on WKTY 6 to 9 every morning. Uh, you can catch his thoughts on Monday. Uh, before I get a chance to hit the airwaves, hopefully we're talking about uh, a couple of Bucks wins, or one, I should say. I don't believe Game 2 is until Monday night. So one game this weekend, and uh, and we're going to be around to enjoy it. I want to talk about this weekend, about the two games in Boston, but I also want to look a little bit past this pair of games in Boston, because I think when we're talking about these series, okay, what, are the, what do the Bucks have to do this weekend in Boston? Do they have to win one? Do they have to win both? If they lose both, are they screwed? Let, let's step back just a little bit, widen our stance just a little bit, and I think we'll all feel a little bit more comfortable going into tonight and going to this weekend. Allow me a chance to explain myself. I'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. <laughs> Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're all looking forward to an awesome weekend. Bucks tonight. Brewers tonight as well. Brewers are over on WIZM. We talked to Dave Carney, and we talk about this pair of games going back to Boston. And, of course, Game 5 would be in Milwaukee. 6 back in Boston. And, of course, if it does go 7, that's back at Pfizer Forum. And the interesting part of the NBA's playoff format, remember, it used to be 2-3-2, and they did away with that. Uh, well, two three two is great for travel reasons, right? There's fewer, there's less travel, there's less back and forth. The whole idea behind two three two is if the road team, the underdog, the 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 designed disadvantage team, can steal a game in that opening pair, that now all the if they sweep at home, the higher seed doesn't even get a game at home, right? So they did away with that. It was almost a disadvantage at times uh, to the higher seed. So they go two two one 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 
which allows the closeout game to be at home, the opening games to be at home. And for the most part, if you're able to take care of business and just win one game on the road, you can close it out in five at your home stadium. Now, the Bucks uh, go into Boston tied 1-1, and then naturally the conversation is, well, how many... How many games do the Bucs have to win in, in Boston? Will you, what, what if they only take one-on-one? Do, do you think they need to win both? What, what, what do you think? And, and, and so on and so forth. And answer the calls and then debate about it endlessly. The cop-out answer would be to say that the Bucs just only need to split. They need to get back. Uh, they need to get back that one game they lost at home and they'll be, they'll be sitting pretty. They'll be going, they'll have regamed home court advantage and they'll be comfortable and confident moving forward. I'm not going to give you a cop-out answer of, the Bucks need to win one. They just need to win back that game just because that's not all that particularly interesting. What I wanted to do and what I was thinking about earlier today is to zoom out just a little bit because the Bucs, uh, even if they get swept, even if they lose the next two, are still going to go back to Milwaukee for game five, regardless of, of, of how these two games in Boston go because it is a seven-game series. My, my hope and my desire for the Bucs is to not win both in Boston to not even win one of one, here's what I want to see. I want to see the Bucks win two of their next three. If the Bucks can win one game in Boston uh, and, and lose one and then go on to win game five at the Pfizer Forum, that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that. If they win both games in Boston, all right, fine. That's good, too. The, the whole idea behind the next three games, two in Boston and one in Milwaukee, is to not be going back to Boston for game six facing elimination. You don't want to be in Boston for game six facing elimination. That's the entire goal. And to avoid that situation, all the Bucks need to do is win two of their next three. Now, how they do that, where and when they do that, that's not important to me. If the Bucks win two in the TD Garden in Boston and then they go back and lose at Pfizer Form, it will be a wasted opportunity. Don't get me wrong. It will be a squandered opportunity to close out at home. But they will have shown me that they can win in Boston and, and, and they will have avoided facing elimination in, in Game 6 which is really what you want to avoid, and then that's fine. If the Bucks win one in Boston and win game five at the Pfizer Forum, which I think is probably more likely, great. Just as good. It's not about these next two games in Milwaukee. It's about the collection of the next three games. you got to win two or three. Because the nightmare scenario is Boston giving you everything they got at home in game six, knowing that they have an opportunity to close you out. You don't want to be playing to force a game seven in Boston. right? Winning two of the next three uh, we'll get it done. And I think the more that we we think about these games individually, we're going to drive ourselves crazy. After game one, you think, God, the Bucks are screwed. And, and you listen to the national media. And, and like it's not just exclusive to the national media, but a lot of people saying, oh, Bucks are done. Right? They've they've lost home court advantage. They've shown that they, they are easily beaten by Boston, and Boston has their number. Well, and then they come back, and they, they blow them out by 21 in the next game after losing by 22. Like If you focus on a game-by-game basis, and the end of the world and the beginning of the world, the Alpha and the Omega is based on one game of a seven-game series, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Now, I fall into that trap, so I do drive myself crazy, but I'm trying to, to give you advice that, that I cannot even follow. The trends of a series, the ebbs and flows of a series are very important. Like It's a back and forth. The basketball is a game of runs, right? Bucks go on a 10-2 to two run. Celtics go on a 15-2 to two run. Well, a seven-game series is also a series of runs because eventually one of these teams is going to have to win two games in a row, right? That's what, that's what nobody could do. Nobody could win on the road last year, remember? Boston didn't take a game in Milwaukee. Milwaukee didn't take a game in Boston. It goes seven games, uh, and, and it shakes out basically like you would have the chalk say it should, which... Typically isn't the case. Last year, it, it shook out that way. Series has runs. Seri- a seven-game series includes momentum and includes ebbs and flows. 
if you look at games by a game by game basis, even a, a two game basis, the next two games in Boston, you're going to drive yourself crazy. You're going to start asking yourself questions and asking your friend questions like, oh, is tonight a must win? Well, it's a, it's a playoff game. You don't judge playoff games on a must win basis. Of course, you want to win. Is it the end of the world? If not, no. But of course, you want to win. There's no, there's no pregame speech from Coach Budenholzer before a playoff game that's saying, hey, if we lose tonight, we're fine. You know what I mean? So, of course, they're all must win games. But if you only focus on one game at a time, for example, tonight's game, which starts at 7, pregame at 6.30 here on WKTY, if you only focus on tonight's game, you're going to be up all night either with excitement because the Bucks are going to win it all, or you're going to cry yourself to sleep in anger because they lost, and now the Celtics have proven that they can beat the Bucks regardless of their 60-win record and regardless of Giannis, who who's, looks like he's most definitely going to win the MVP and Bud probably coach of the year, and that's all going to go down the tubes. You see the rabbit holes you start to go down. You see the dramatic conclusions you start to draw if you only focus on one game at a time. So I'm not going to say that the Bucks need to win one game in Boston. I'm not going to need to say that they need to win both games in Boston. Get two of the next three. That means one game in Boston. That means two games in Boston. The whole goal of the next three games of this series, as you go through three, four, and five, is to avoid elimination in Boston in game six. However you can do that, however you can manage that, go to town. I don't care. At some point... You're going to have to win a game on the road. If you're the Bucks at this point, you just got to get one. But winning two of the next three is, is, is of the utmost importance because you do not want to be facing elimination in Boston. That's what it comes down to. We covered a lot of ground today. The Brewers start a weekend series with the Mets tonight. That's going to be over on our sister station, WIZM, 92.3 FM, 1410 AM. 7-10 first pitch. That'll be a 6:35 pregame over on our sister station. Like I said, the Bucks pregame over here with Justin Garcia, Ted Davis, and the rest of the Bucks Radio Network crew will start at 6.30. So tune in and enjoy. Dave said, as Dave said, download the app. Right? Stream right there. You can listen to the podcast if you missed part of the show today. You want to go back and check it out, including Dave's interview from 5.30. Dave Carney for Mornings with Dave and Scrady. You want to go check that out? You can do that on the mobile app or at WKTYsports.com. Check it out in podcast form. Brewers hopefully get back on track. You like what you saw against the Mets last weekend? Hopefully they can use this series as a get-right series after splitting the series with the Rockies. Even though they did split, they got a lot of things to figure out, including starting pitching, which we talked about a little bit earlier. If you want to check that out, like I said, you can do so uh, at the podcast portion of the WKTY app or WKTYsports.com. We hope to see Malcolm Brogdon before too long, hopefully before they come back to Milwaukee for Game 5. We'll talk about Game 3. We'll talk about Malcolm Brogdon. We'll talk about the Brewers and everything uh, involving all of these teams coming up next week when the Wisco Sports Show returns. Same time, same place. Have an awesome weekend. I'll talk to you Monday.